in order to truly nourish the aura, we do have to own our shadow. We have to own our pain. We have to own our issues. We have to, in my opinion, we have to process. We have to go into processing emotionally and energetically. And that's how, the, that's how we change the patterns. Welcome to episode two of the Radiant Wellness Club podcast. I'm Rochelle Tersini. This is my first interview, and I really wanted to have Karina Virginia on the show because she embodies what this entire podcast is all about and the Radiant Wellness Club online resource. I wanted to speak to Karina about what she believes radiance is because her description of radiance in her book is beautifully articulate and precise. She says, Radiance is our sparkle and shine. It is the illumination emitted by our energy frequencies and is powered by prana. Our radiance vibrates through the aura and connects us to the infinite. When our radiance is healthy, we become magnetic beings who draw opportunities and success with synchronicity rather than with force. In the end, my conversation with Karina ended up touching on so many subjects and so many levels. Karina and I spoke about habits, discipline, the aura, the shadow self, and the importance of being true to yourself. Of course, we also spoke about Kundalini Yoga, and we talked about whether or not it's okay to not wear a turban when you're practicing Kundalini. This conversation was very insightful. Let's get right into it. Karina is touching a little bit here on radiance and kundalini yoga. That is really how I describe kundalini yoga. I really, you know, it's known as the yoga of awareness, but to me, I think of it as a yoga of radiance. Yes, for me, it's the same. So we can, maybe you can talk a little bit more about radiance afterwards, but I would love to know. Sure. um, How did you discover kundalini? Oh, I love this story. So, (laughs) so as a child, I was always extremely spiritual and always very etheric. But in that, I was also probably what they would diagnose as severely ADHD, like hyperactive too, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I could not sit still. And in school, I could not focus on what the teachers were saying. I just wanted to look out the window all the time and I wanted to you know, observe nature. And I'd look up in the sky and I would just like call upon the angels. And it was like this, this very isolated existence that I had, but I worked really hard to fit in at the same time because we all, you know, chemically our neurotransmitters, we all long to fit in and have community. Right. Mm -hmm. And as a child, I knew that, but I also just didn't, I just, I couldn't sit and watch the Smurfs, you know, like I would go to my friend's house and I'd be like, what is this? Or I remember there was like, um, Jerry, like Tom and Jerry. That's another one that my best friend, cause because we lived right next to each other, we were always with each other. She always wanted to watch that. And I wanted to have these in-depth, com- in-depth conversations. So I ended up spending a lot of time with adults as a child. And then when I went to college, I was, oh, 
and, and I started doing a lot of acting. So I went to college and I went to, to a conservatory for acting. And in the acting program, we had to study different movements. And one of the movements that we studied was yoga and, and the whole chakra system. And I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And so I started to really recognize that when I was doing these things, I was starting to feel like I could focus more and I could, I could study and, and really have a clear mind. And so I got really into yoga when I was 18 and it was that yoga was like, that stuff's weird. When I, when I was 18, I'm in my forties now. So when I was 18, it was just like, mm. anyway, um, but I loved it. And it was really hard to get a hold of books and there was, you know, nothing online. So you went, I had to go to these new age bookstores and try to find these books. And, and, um, so I, I studied whatever I could and I learned about Hatha yoga. And then I decided that I would, um, study Hatha yoga and do a, a certification program in Hatha yoga. And again, it was a very small group of us that were doing it. And then I moved to New York City and I was um, and I was pursuing my career in acting and I thought, OK, this place is like like ADHD on steroids. You know, like I was just I couldn't focus on anything. There was just so much activity and being a very, very much of an empath as well. I can feel everybody's feelings, like even through the walls in my apartment. I just didn't know what was going on, but I really I was not in a good place. So I made a commitment that I would go to a yoga class every day, not just do it alone, because again, I, I thrive on being around people. And so I made a commitment that I would do that. And there was one yoga studio at the time that was, you know, not that far from me. And I just wasn't really crazy about it. So um, I ended up finding that New York sports club, the New York sports club gym had yoga and I could sign up for a membership and go to any New York sports club. So each day, and there, there was probably one yoga class per week at most of them. Some of them didn't even have any yoga at all, but Pilates was pretty in fashion at the time, but there was a little bit of yoga so I got every schedule. I went to each one. I got each paper schedule. Again, there's nothing online at that time. So I had the schedules and I just taped them up and I circled all the yoga. And every day I would go to one of the yoga classes. I'd get on the subway and I'd go downtown. I'd get on the subway and I'd go to the, I lived on the Upper East Side. I'd go to the West Side. I'd, you know, it was just different each time. So there was, they were all different. They had the names on Yasura Yoga, Jiva Mukti Yoga, and then there was one called Kundalini Yoga. So I figured, okay, you know, all the same, just different names. And I get to this Kundalini class, and it was in the basement of this gym, this brownstone, this gym that was a small gym in a brownstone. And when I, and we didn't have mats back then, you know, you just kind of would just, use those those like um gym mats that were foam that would just slide all over the place <laughs> so you didn't see people walking around with a yoga mat back then at all mm -hmm. i think i don't even know where you would even buy it. i guess you had to buy a yoga mat at a new age type store i don't even remember where i got my first mat but so i'm we're on these flimsy mats and i'm doing this and oh and there's one other person in the room 
And first the teacher tunes in and I think this is crazy. Like, is this witchcraft? Like what is going on? This is, she's not just chanting Om. She's got this. And I went to chant and I thought it was Om. So I'm going, Om. And then she's like, Om and I'm all good today. And I'm going, what is she doing? So I thought I can't be rude and leave. There's only one other person here. So I better just stay. And this little flimsy mats like sliding all across the room, but I'm doing the poses with my eyes closed and the breath of fire. And then I'm opening my eyes and I've spun around on this flimsy little styrofoam thing. <laughs> so all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I'm feeling really euphoric like this. Whoa, what is happening here? So I went up to the teacher afterwards and I said, what exactly is this? Like, I am so drawn to this practice. This is so unbelievable. So she basically said, well, you know, there's a, there's a man who lives in New Mexico and, you know, he has an ashram there. If you want to go study a little bit more about it. And well, long and the short of it is that for that time being, I was working during the week and that particular class was on was sunday at 10 o'clock and in the morning and i could not wait until sunday morning to just go to her class mm-hmm. and i i needed to stay in new york for this particular job that i was that i was doing at the time and i just started going to her class and then doing it on my own every day and just getting so into it but i remember that I also was thinking if, if my husband, like I was, if my husband, so my, so I met my husband in the midst of all that. It was a long story, but so many things started changing and shifting and, and I could feel my vibration changing. I could feel the radiance. I really could. And I ended up meeting my husband who I'd been married to for almost 20 years. I ended up meeting him. Um, and, I was thinking, if he sees what I'm doing, he's going to think that I'm nuts. So there was a window there. And sometimes he'd say, oh, I'll go to the gym with you. And I think, all right, well, just stay upstairs. Because, you know, there's, it's kind of moldy down in this basement area. <laughs> I, and I would be doing like the breath of fire with my eyes closed, focusing at my third eye point, thinking, I hope he's not looking in the window right now. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that was the beginning of it. And then I just, then I did my Kundalini teacher training and I still love Hatha yoga, but I love it to stretch and to, to, to really move the energy in that, in that flowy way. Mm-hmm. But in terms of my go-to, I'm obviously, you know, I'm obviously just, you know, really, really passionate about um, Kundalini yoga, but it ended up becoming something that I did so much. And, and at that time also, so the music, right, that you heard 15 years ago, the music was like that. So then I would start playing it when my husband and I were married and he'd be like, what is this music? Like, what is (laughs) the same like mantra that, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, it was more like, yeah. (laughs) but long and short of it is that our daughter did her kundalini teacher training when she was 14 um it's like such a big thing in our home right now and my husband is a super mainstream guy like then he'll still come to kundalini yoga classes okay and people will be like he'll go in his like gym shorts you know and his his t-shirt and we couldn't be more opposite Mm -hmm. but 
but um, I think that's another reason why I took this practice and I really mainstreamed it. Um, so like, I actually like to say it's Kundalini with Karina because there are certain things that I've really have had to um, break free of because I think some of the dogma can be a little stifling and I, and I, I, and also I don't wear a turban Mm -hmm. and, you know, and in that there's, I love so many, so many beautiful people in the community and I adore where everybody's at, but I've had to find my own way and my own path. And there's been some, you know, it's been a little frightening at times to show up without a turban on because that's just who I am when everyone else is wearing a turban, but to really recognize also that, Sometimes we have to be, we have, when we're bringing very, um, we're, we're bringing something so amazing to the world and we want the world to be able to grasp it. Sometimes it takes a lot of courage because we're actually in a way changing what doesn't work. And when we do that, sometimes we're, we have to take chances that we're not going to be invited to the party or we're going to be like talked about or, you know, all those things can happen. But ultimately, I believe that when we're really following our heart and doing these practices, if it's our destiny to do that, we have to. We, we have to. And, um, and I felt a real calling to do it that way. So I definitely um, I, I love to go to a real traditional class. And I love to go to like you know, really just where it's like die hard and really have that experience. I love all of that. But where I live and where a lot of my audience, uh, my students are, I've had to bring it to a place where it's accessible to them. Otherwise, they would probably have maybe walked into class and, and people still leave class as it is, but they probably would have just ran to the hills, you know, because it is that different. Mm-hmm. And I think the turban can definitely put people off because it is mm-hmm. so different. And I think if you feel that you have this pressure to do that or to wear the turban, then a lot of people might not want to get involved in it. Yes. So I also yes. don't and wear a turban. I can't see myself ever wearing one, but I don't think that I still feel the beautiful effects of the practice. And I do too. Yeah. I do too. And I also, I've also had pushback. Um, I've had, um, you know, actually close friends even who have said, you know, can we talk? And, and I've said, sure. And they're like, you know, I saw that you were in that magazine and, you know, you really are, you know, a public figure in Kundalini Yoga, but your hair was, you know, you had different, you know, you had some color in it and it, you cut your hair and you're not wearing a turban and that's not the real teachings. Mm-hmm. And I've said, well, the real teachings for me. Mm-hmm. And I, but in that, in those moments, I'm not going to lie. I have felt really, I've cried. Um, I felt, I felt really, um, you know, there's, when you're in a community, you, especially if you're a very different type of person, as obviously I've told you, I have been since I was a child, I am. When I found this community of, because I, I am very immersed in the Kundalini of community as well. So it, to be on both sides, it's taken, you know, a lot of kind of 
trial and error per se, and, and also some, some hard moments because to be in the community, it's very, um, it's, it's, it feels really cozy to just go to play, you know, to, to actually go along with the crowd and to feel like that, you know, there's this, this incredible collective vibration we're creating and it feels so, um, it feels so magical to be, you know, in, in New Mexico at, at a summer solstice, which I still go to every June. And I brought my kids there for years. It's just this, this extremely, um, oh, it's, it's almost this like contagious high feeling that you get from being around all these amazing people. Mm-hmm. And I got to a point where I would go there and I'd wear a turban because it was what we all did. But then I, then I would teach at home without one. And there was this one day where I, I was teaching on, on the main stage there and they were live streaming it. And I thought all my students at home are going to watch me. And I'm not, not, if I wear a turban, they're going to say, why don't you wear a turban home? Why are you wearing it? And I, cause I'm always teaching people, find your, your own path, find your own voice, follow your own heart. You don't need to, you can, it's okay to walk the path least taken, create your own path. So I'm thinking, "Mm, this is kind of not really going along with what I I teach. So I figured I'm not going to wear a turban on this main stage at solstice. And I'm just going to teach the way I do at home. Well, I got some lots of pushback and my daughter was with me when someone came up to me and said, that was a beautiful class, but you know, Mm -hmm. this was live stream all over the the world. And I don't think you were presenting the the teachings without wearing a turban. Mm -hmm. And I said what I needed to say. And he goes, ah, you're just trying to justify it. And I remember really in that moment starting to feel really panicked and scared and uncomfortable. And that was, that was quite a few years ago, but that moment really helped me to work through a lot of that and to really find my own voice and to, to, to help others find theirs. And I think in this day and age, we have to, we really have to, we, we, it, there, there's beauty in, in groups, there's beauty in communities, but there's so much beauty in bringing our authentic selves to those groups and to those communities. And there's so much beauty in, in holding one another with our differences and with knowing that we're all being called to do things in a different way and to support that in one another without judgment. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, actually, when I practice alone, I find that I'm able to go much deeper. I know it's kind of the opposite of what everyone says, Mm. that when you practice in a group, you have this collective consciousness that you're aligning with, and it's more powerful. I haven't personally noticed that to be the case so far. Maybe going forward, I will, but I find when I'm alone, I can really go much deeper within myself. And when there's people around me, I get a bit distracted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I've definitely had those experiences myself as well. I've, I've had, I've had both experiences. I've had the, the collective energy feeling great. And I've also had the collective energy feeling really heavy. Right. 
So there are times where I just feel like, whoo, I have my own space to expand into my own being. And, and, you know, my son is super, I'm sensitive. My son is highly sensitive. I mean, since he was a child and very, 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 very spiritual child, very aware. And the first time I took him to, um, to solstice, which is for people who don't know what solstice is, it's a, the gathering in New Mexico where a lot of people come to, to practice deep, deep, deep meditation and a lot of not just yoga, but sitting in meditation for three days straight from before the sun comes up until the sun pretty much goes down with breaks in between. Um, but the first time I brought my son there, he was like, get me out of here, get me out of here. But at the same time, there were these moments where he was like, this place is so amazing, but it's, but get me out of here. And what I realized was that he was having these incredibly spiritual experiences from the very sacred land mm. and from, from the, the, the beauty of the devotion on the land, because the land goes back to indigenous times. That land is very sacred. But he also was having such a hard time. And he was only, I think he was only five Oh, that wow. time. Yeah. But he was having, he was what, what, what I realized in time, well, not even in time, just during that, that week um, where he didn't want to drink out of, he wouldn't drink the water. He wouldn't eat the food. He was, he was really going through it. What I realized was that people were releasing so much and mm-hmm. he being such an empath was picking up so much energy mm-hmm. and it was very hard for him. Meanwhile, my daughter was just, who's more, she's, she's, even though she did her teacher training as a teenager and is, is, and, and has always really loved the practice. She's a lot kind of more grounded. She's more like her father. And to her, she would just run around having fun. But then I started to see, wow, Christian, my son is very much like me. He feels everything. And as I was saying earlier, like New York, living in New York City when, you know, when you're not feeling grounded is like having ADHD on steroids. And I think that for, for my son and being in that environment where people were releasing so much stuff, and when we're releasing stuff, we're not only releasing our stuff, we're releasing generations of, of you know, our, our, our ancestor stuff. Mm-hmm. So he was feeling all of that. And so if you're sensitive and you're in a group and people are releasing, um, there may be a part of you that is, um, you know, not that is a little distracted. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're alone, you're able to go really deep into your own work. So mm-hmm. that could be as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you have a daily practice or a sadhana? I do. Yes. Is I do, routine? yes. How do you decide? Um, there's one mantra that I um, have been doing for probably about um, three years now every day. And then my daily practice changes. Um, I do still continue to do 40 day meditations. Like I might just decide, okay, I'm going to do Sat Kriya for 40 days every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but no matter what my daily practice is, I, 
have one specific meditation that I do every day, no matter what, but I've had a daily practice for a long time and I do wake up early in the morning and I do go to sleep early at night. Right. Do you think it's important? So, so it's totally fine to, to change the practice on a daily basis. You don't need to do always. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I believe, I mean, from my, from, from my perspective, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered about that because <laughs> sometimes yeah. I'll, have uh -huh. a, I'll think, oh, okay, I would like to do this right now. And then I think, oh, I'll try to do it for 40 days and I get a bit, I don't know, I'll see another practice that I would like to do and instead I'll do that. And I'm never sure if that's acceptable to be switching the practice so much. Yes, you can absolutely switch the practice. I always like to say, if you're doing a practice and you're resisting it for some reason, mm -hmm. like there's a resistance in, in, you know, you're not enjoying it, you're resisting right. it, but it's not injuring you. It's not, it's just bringing up some stuff for you and you've made the commitment to do it for 40 days. That's the time to stay with it because that resistance you want to release. Okay. If you're doing it and you're thinking, eh, I don't know, this is not really doing what I was hoping it would do, then switch. Okay. But if you make a commitment to do it for 40 days and it's something that you've done in the past and you know works for you, then it's just, it's really good for your, for yourself to honor yourself and to finish the 40 days. The 40 days is really for you. You know, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily a law. There is a, you know, there's the whole 40 day, um, is, a, is, is, you know, many religions is a very sacred amount of time, but there's also creating the habit. There's mm -hmm. also continuing after we've created the habit. You know, there's a lot of reasons to do 40 days. And I do think 40, the 40 day meditations are, are amazing. I, I have definitely had incredible experiences doing that. And sometimes I have gone over as well, which is, which is wonderful, but it feels good to make a commitment to yourself and continue it also doesn't feel good to our inner child when we're making ourselves do something that's not resonating. But resonating and resistance um, are, you know, I, I, there's a difference there because some, if something resonates with us and there's resistance, that can happen, right? It mm -hmm. means, okay, this is resonating and there's resistance, which means I have to continue with the, with the resonating factor. Mm -hmm. If there's, if it's, if it's not resonating at all and there's resistance, then it's a matter of, am I resisting this because of something bigger, you know, happening for me that's good? Or am I sort of just not really resisting it, but not really into it? Cause it's just, it's not doing what. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely had the, all of those ranges of experience with different, <laughs> I've tried so many different Kriyas and, Sometimes I'll resonate with something, but I don't necessarily, you know, it really requires a lot of um, commitment mm -hmm. to stick to something, even if it's resonating, because many times I've felt like it was resonating and you just have to keep reminding yourself of why you're doing it and how good it makes you feel and just make the time to do it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, where if I can skip a couple days and feel okay, but I notice by the third day, I'm starting to feel like I need to practice again. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no question. There's to me, I, I don't know of any practice. And of course I'm biased because I'm just so in love with Kundalini yoga, but to me, I've really, I've tried so many different practices and yogas and there have been times where I've thought, Oh, you know, maybe I'm just going to, you know, start doing Hatha every day again. And I've done that. And it's like, Oh, no, got to go back to my Kundalini. Yeah. I just love it. I'm going to sneeze. So excuse me a sec. (laughs) Bless you. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. But, and I've seen it create the most miraculous situations for people. I've seen Kundalini yoga heal people. I've seen Kundalini yoga um, help people um, draw in partners. When I started teaching it, I used to teach, in fact, my first yoga DVD um, was called um, Yoga for Abundance and Miracles, and it was Kundalini yoga. But I originally was going to make it Kundalini for fertility. And my first classes that I started teaching were were for people who were having a hard time getting pregnant. And I can't even begin to tell you the miracles that happened. Hmm. And then I started to change it to um, making it more about just, you know, any miracle at all. And that's, I started working with um, Kundalini Yoga and Miracles probably about maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, And because, because I wanted, and the reason why I actually did that was because I, I knew some people didn't want to come to workshops for fertility when it was private to them that they were having a hard time getting pregnant. So Mm -hmm. I changed the name and then people started bringing friends. And then all of a sudden I started getting these emails from people like, Oh my gosh, something shifted, something changed. And I thought, wow. So this practice really is because at first I thought, is this just me that's having these experiences with this practice? But, you know, about five years later, after doing it on my own, when I started teaching these workshops, I started to see, I need to continue sharing this right? because I have to, I have to help people see that they, that they, the impossible is, is possible. And that to me is what Kundalini yoga is. It's a, it's something that that creates the miracle. It, it truly makes the impossible possible. Yes. So, um, however, however it works for each person, you know, that's, I mean, I think that's why I'm even talking about it like this and, and just talking about some of the, you know, what it was like for me to, to not wear a turban and to do it my way underneath all of that was such an intention of my soul needing to bring this healing technology to as many people as possible while staying in my authenticity. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's my, um, that's my even intention for sharing that with, with everyone listening here, the miracle in life happens when we do that. The miracle in life happens when we follow our hearts, the miracle, the miracle in life happens when we use what's coming through us to create change in the world. Sometimes it means we have to find our voice. Sometimes it means we need to speak truth to, to power. Sometimes it means we need to stand up for what we believe in. The stuck energy, which is, which 
is very hard to stay stuck when we're practicing kundalini yoga, in my opinion. That stuck energy must be released for the miracle to happen. So if we, you know, read, you know, the, the law of attraction and, and, and we read about maybe changing our minds to change our lives, right? If we haven't released the energy around the belief, we're just creating that dog chasing its own tail pattern just by, because we can't change our mind and our thoughts without shifting the energy first. Yes, absolutely. And that's what Kundalini yoga will do. It will help shift the energy. So 40 day practice, five minute practice, 11 minute practice, 31 minute practice, full on, you know, living in a cave practice, whatever works for the person. And I know some people that have literally had periods of time where they've gone into um, going, they've gone into, you know, months of five hours of practice to go through, to go through massive healing. And I know other people who will, you know, take, you know, and it really depends on, on what's going on in our own lives or what we're dealing with um, energetically, because for some people, they'll practice, you know, a three minute meditation every day and find that that's life changing mm-hmm. or even a one minute meditation every day, or just even, even just making sure that you know, this is why, like, I feel so strongly that if you set the intention to release the energy, it might be that you just need to dance in, in your family room and, and maybe chant something and release the energy. And then you could sit for one minute with a meditation. So I think it's different for everybody. And I think that it's, this is another reason why I feel very strongly that there is not a right or wrong. It's about, and if we get so caught up in, am I doing this wrong? Am I, am I not doing it the right way? Or am I, you know, messing it all? If we get stuck in that, we're just feeding fear as opposed to feeding love, which is acceptance, which is I'm setting my intention to do this for the highest good for myself and the highest good of all. And I'm just going to let what flows through me be what, what creates this Kundalini rising then there's so many ways of getting there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have the same experience with, uh, with the practice. Well, I've had some experiences where I've asked myself, am I doing this right? And then mm-hmm. I just tell myself, you know, the more I question it, the more I'm going into that fear. And like you said, feeding the fear. And mm-hmm. for example, sometimes I'll look for a Kriya and it tells you to do it for 11 minutes. And I'll decide, okay, that's for, for depending on the practice. Of course, some, some of them I can do no problem. And sometimes I'll just decide I'm going to shorten it to three. Yeah, great. If it says that you need to do it for 11. I decide I'm going to do it for three and I feel the effects. And, and then I accept that, you know, it worked for me to do it for three. <laughs> and, and I think that is so beautiful as opposed to what we do to ourselves in life, right? We do this, all of us. I should have done it longer. Mm-hmm. I should have given it more. And we don't just do that with our yoga practice. We do that with every, our relationships. We do it with work, with, you know, always shaming ourselves, always going into that place of second guessing ourselves, or maybe had I done it this, 
And that's just feeding fear as opposed to going into, I'm going to do this and I'm going to honor that I did it. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to just show up and I'm going to show up just as the best version of myself right now. And if I'm not perfect, so be it. And so I think that's really important too. Now, I will say that for people who have personalities that are very um, super, super laid back and they don't have a lot of discipline in their lives and they're just really like all over the place and they're wanting so much to um, have something in their lives that's consistent and it's a discipline and they don't, then making sure to do it a certain amount of time every day is a great practice for that type of personality because it creates consistency and because it creates a discipline and because that's what that person needs to feel good about themselves. But if you already are someone who's disciplined and already are someone who is, is, you know, moving through stuff, I think it's really important to find compassion for the self. And to be kind to the self and to be gentle with the self. And right now, our world is really crazy. And I think many of us could be a lot kinder to ourselves and a lot, have a lot more compassion for ourselves. Yes, that's for sure. I'm wondering also, um, I, I always think about this kind of idea of, um, you know, with yoga, any kind of yoga this idea of trying to, you know, raise your vibration, elevate your vibration, feel radiant, feel good, feel positive. And then how do we balance that with some of the darker emotions? Mm, I love that question. Yeah. So I'm wondering, do you allow yourself to experience difficult or darker emotions like fear, doubt, or anxiety? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I happen to um, study with with um, a, man, a man named Richard Rohr. He's a, um, he's a friar actually. Hmm. And basically it's, he has a school called um, the, it's a school for contemplative action, basically about um, creating change for ourselves and the world and, and really based a lot on the Christian faith. Um, I was raised Christian, but I was also raised without it being such a, a religion. It was more that we just went to this very open church and I was just, I used to talk about all the angels and it was never really Bible study per se, or it, it was never, I never had any Catholic guilt or any, if we didn't go to church, we didn't go to church. It was just, that's kind of how my parents raised us. So I, I, um, I happen to love the Christian faith. And what Richard Rohr says, which I think is so beautiful, is that if we want to heal our pain or our shadow, because we all have shadows, you know, we're, we're all, we all have a shadow side. Every, and, and the reality is the more light that is shining, the more the shadow, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about if, if, if the sun is shining upon something, and it's bright, the shadow is going to be bigger. So there's, there's always going to be a shadow. That's the law, you know, and, and, and that's why also 
there are very, very, very few truly enlightened beings that are only light that walk the planet. Once we cross the, from the earth realm into the higher realms, it, it is pure light. But on the earth realm, it's, you think about that's how the sun shines. It's what happens. So we have to own our shadow. You know, we have to own that part of ourselves that's like, hmm, okay, got to work through this, right? And but what Richard Rohr says is that in order to heal any shadow or fear or pain, we have to taste it first. And then we can give it to God. And I think that is so beautiful. So that's what I believe. And I also, I also say when I'm teaching, I'll say, you have to feel it to heal it. Feel it to heal it. And I do that in my own work on myself where it's like, oh, I don't like this feeling. Okay, so where am I feeling it? And a lot of my discomfort is often in my solar plexus. Okay, all right, so what's going on here? Okay, yes, I've given my power away again. All right, I'm recognizing it. Okay, so I'm going to reclaim my power energetically. I'll put my hand on my solar plexus and I'll say, ooh, I don't like this feeling, but I'm going to taste it. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to work through it. And then, I, and then I actually will do a prayer and I'll say, dear divine, please take this discomfort away from me. I, I don't know where it's coming from necessarily. I don't need to know because we're also, sometimes pain is an unknown feeling because it can come from generations back. And that's a whole nother story for a whole other podcast, mm -hmm. how we hold our imprints from our ancestors in our energy fields and in our cells that epigenetics is finding actually in our cells too. But we can clear unknown energy as well as known energy. So I don't even know necessarily where this is coming from, or if it's even mine, I might've picked this up in the grocery store from someone who was, was carrying some real heaviness around, but I'm tasting it. I'm feeling it so that I can release it. And that's where real freedom is. I have seen many people take their, their discomfort and shove it down and then say, I'm only going to talk about feeling great. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, these people, right? Yes. And I'm sure, you know, and I think we've all tried this one too. Oh yeah. I'm supposed to always say today is great. I feel great. So we do that. And then we're like, oh yeah, I feel great. I feel wonderful. Grin and bear it. And then you create a higher frequency, right? The whole law of attraction is think good thoughts, be positive, and you'll attract more of that because like attracts like, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what happens there is we're just bypassing. We're just bypassing what's really going on. And what does that do? It creates stuck energy. And that stuck energy is what could ultimately be our radiant energy. So we're saying, again, that's right, that's mind, right? We're saying, okay, I just read this book, you know, I just read The Secret, you know, that book on, on mm -hmm. you know, if you say all these things and you do all these things and you're going to create all those things, well, we can do things, we can say things, but if our energy is not right there with us, we're just, again, chasing our tail in a circle. The energy has to be there, even way before the thoughts, way before the words, way before anything. So if we're feeling pain, 
and we're pretending even to ourselves that we're not, then we're bypassing our pain and we're literally shoving it into our bodies and creating stuck energy. And we all know what stuck energy is. It's that dormant energy. And in Kundalini, we say it's stuck at the base of the spine, which prevents the Kundalini from rising. And it's when the Kundalini rises that our fullest activation in life happens where we can live into our fullest potential. And the Kundalini energy rising can happen through many forms of meditation. It doesn't have to be Kundalini yoga. Kundalini yoga is just the name that we have for this practice, but Kundalini rises many ways. Some people have never even practiced Kundalini yoga and they have a Kundalini rising experience, right? Mm -hmm. So, but in order to have these amazing experiences, it has to be, as Einstein said, energy is everything and that's all there is to it. It has to be energetic. So yes, to answer your question, whatever's there, discomfort, you have to feel it to heal it. And then you move through it. Mm -hmm. There's actually a shadow module that's going to be on the Radiant Wellness Club website. I'm great. Yeah. I'm very into the shadow work right now. I am too. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this new coin term, spiritual bypassing, right? Which is to bypass through our spiritual practice. We bypass things that are going on. I mean, I've, oh, that's a whole other story, but I've, I see a lot of people that do that. And I'd say this without judgment, but they're, they're just going to, they go right into their practice without actually letting themselves feel what they're feeling or discuss. There's no conversation around things. There's no processing. It's just turn it off and elevate, turn it off and elevate, turn it off and elevate. Well, eventually what you're turning off is going to explode. It's like a pressure cooker because even if we're going into the deepest realms of spirituality, there's that message that our higher selves know, which is a message from the divine that says, there's still stuff in there you're not processing. So we can meditate, we can chant, we can do our yoga, but if we're not working through the stuff that's coming up and we're just shoving it away, or we're not, we're not having conversations with the people that are, you know, maybe triggering us a certain way, and we're just pretending these things aren't happening, or we're not actually looking at, at what's happening in the world or looking at things that are being revealed to us. Instead, we're just turning a closed eye or we're saying, look, just throw that under the rug. We don't deal with that. But instead I'll go to church or instead I'll meditate or instead I'll, I'll, I'll just elevate myself. Then we're bypassing the work that needs to be done in order for us to truly elevate. wait for you to dig into the integrating shadows module on the radiant wellness club website this module uses hypnosis to bring you into a state of trance where you are able to access old memories and uncover some of the shame that you've attached to certain qualities about yourself those qualities that you reject about yourself 
because you learned that it was not acceptable to show them. What you reject grows stronger and has power over you. You will find that you're often triggered by others who have those qualities and you even tend to attract them into your life. When you reject parts of yourself or have shame around qualities that live inside of you, you will not be able to truly love yourself. And when you don't truly love yourself, you lose your sense of self in the world and can get easily shattered by external circumstances. So come learn to embrace all of who you are through the Integrating Shadows module on the Radiant Wellness Club website. If you're listening to this before the website is up and running, you can go to the coming soon page and enter your email to be added to the newsletter where you will receive lots of gifts of insight and inspiration. Check out radiantwellnessclub.com and join the Facebook page, Radiant Wellness Club. Follow my Instagram and give this podcast a like while you're at it. Now back to my conversation with Karina, where she talks all about the aura and radiance. The aura is the field that lives because it's alive. It's filled with energy just as we are. It's the field around us that can extend in 10 feet in in all directions. That's the aura. Mm -hmm. The radiant body can actually project out even further than the aura. Mm -hmm. So when we're, yeah. So radiance comes from the inside into the aura and it, it helps the aura expand. But radiance, the way I like to say it is like, if you ever look at the sun and you see the aura around the sun, right? There's like that circle that's around the sun. Even if you take a picture of the sun, mm-hmm. sometimes even in your camera, you'll see those, those lines that come out as well. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever done a selfie of yourself in front of a window where there's sun shining on you? You see all those lines in it. Mm-hmm. That's your radiance. That's radiant. That's the So the radiance actually comes, or you see the rays of the sun when you draw, you know, when we were little, we drew the sun and we draw those lines coming out of all the, you know, the circle. Mm -hmm. That's radiance. The aura is actually the, the circle right around the sun. And it's the same for us beings. And so when we are, so this goes back to what we were just talking about where we're bypassing energy. If we are, if we're saying, I'm great, I feel wonderful, everything is perfect, but we're not truly energetically aligned in that discussion with ourselves or others, we're preventing the radiance from, from shining all the way out. If we say, okay, this is an issue and I'm going to use my voice to help heal this issue, right, mm-hmm. then and I'm going to actually have a conversation around this and I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to create even, I'm even going to disrupt what maybe a lot of people don't want to even talk about. I'm going to disrupt it right now because it, it's, it's, it's going to burst anyway, but it might not burst for a long time. And that's just going to prevent people from, from being healthy. So I'm going to actually go in there and disrupt it, which is kind of my personality because I do do that. <laughs> I have seen this incredible alchemy happen where all of a sudden it's like it for a little while, it's like, Whoa, why did you open that can of worms? Like, Oh my gosh. But then all of a sudden, boom, it dissipates. And what happens is the energy has to go somewhere. And then we set our intentions for the energy to go to the highest good. 
and we fuel that 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 miraculous energy and that creates this incredible aura mm. and then that creates this incredible radiance okay so, so if we we, mm-hmm. we nourish the aura and the aura yes. then nourishes the radiance yes and in order to truly nourish the aura we do have to own our shadow we have to own our pain we have to own our issues we have to in my opinion we have to process we have to go into processing emotionally and energetically and that's how the that's how we change the patterns of the mind that's how we actually rewire the brain that's how we rewire the neurotransmitters of the brain and it's rewiring the neurotransmitters of the brain that will physiologically create the hormonal and the glandular response in the body to feel good and to heal the pain. But it's actually bringing energy to the surface to be purified that will help to enhance our aura and then our radiance. I definitely feel that you need to use the, the darker energies or the, the challenges that you have and go through them and face mm-hmm. them and understand them and process them so that you can then be brighter. So you have to really go into the dark in order to illuminate yourself. Yes. And isn't that what, you know, what, I mean, that's what, when we say guru in Kundalini Yoga, guru means mm-hmm. from darkness to light. Right. And then Guru Dev is the teacher that brings us from darkness to light. And in my opinion, I mean, I'm a, I'm a teacher, but I am not the teacher that's going to bring someone from darkness to light. That teacher lives within each of us. Mm-hmm. So the Guru and the, the teacher that brings us from darkness to light is not a person outside of us. A Guru, especially in this day and age, is within us. It's, it literally is that which brings us from darkness to light. And if we are counting on an individual, another person outside of us to bring us into light, from darkness to light, we're giving our power away because mm-hmm. we have all the power within ourselves to do the work. And that's yeah. what, that's, and when we say wahi guru, we're saying, Wow, here and now, that which was dark is now light, but it's within us. And when we say, Ong Namo Gurudev Namo, we're saying the universe teacher, I bow to, and that teacher's within, and that teacher's beyond. That teacher is not, so when we say Ong Namo Gurudev Namo, we are not bowing to a physical person. We are bowing to that. And for those, for those, um, who are listening to this, who don't know what Om Namo Gurudev Namo is, it's the way we start a Kundalini yoga class. It's the, it's the mantra that connects us to a golden chain of, of teachers, but they're all teachers that have crossed over. We're not connecting to a teacher on the earth realm. In fact, it's really important that we acknowledge that, especially nowadays, that we do not give our power away to another human being. because. Again, every light has a shadow. And if we look to another person as an enlightened being, unless it's someone like 
you know, walking Jesus or Buddha or, I mean, maybe, maybe Amamichi is truly enlightened. I mean, maybe she is, but, but yeah, right. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think if I've ever met anyone walking the earth that I, that I do think could be, I do think that she possibly could be, but how many truly, or there's a man in India that's had his arm up. He's held his arm up for years one oh, yes, arm yes. up right yep, yep and I've seen a that. friend of you have yeah so a friend of mine said that she was watching people feed him and he I mean he lit he doesn't he just holds his arm up now that's enlightenment because that's that's to to actually be alive and hold your arm up for years that that is just like beyond a miracle that just there's there's no sense to that whatsoever so i do believe that there is enlightenment in that and but then again there can be no ego there there there's no i mean his only needs are needs of survival which is a very little bit of food and and you know obviously he has to go to the bathroom and their people help them him do all of that but there's no there's no ego but but that's because he has people all around him that, that prevent him from needing to even have an ego, right? Mm-hmm. We have to have an ego to survive on the planet. We have to. And, you know, in Kundalini Yoga, we have what we call the negative mind. If we didn't have a negative mind, we wouldn't know to even look both ways before we cross the street. We would just <laughs> like randomly walk and get boom, right? Mm-hmm. So... So we have to have an ego. So if we have to have an ego, then we have to have a certain form of, of a fear response. Then we have to be imperfect and not enlightened. So um, anyway, so, if, so we have to really make sure that we never give our power away to another human being, even if somehow we've been so romanticized by that person and we're just so in awe of them great. Be inspired, learn from them, but never think that there isn't some, you know, we can't make the mistake of thinking that that person doesn't have some mechanism of, of a shadow side, because that's just fooling ourselves. And that's how we get really hurt. And it happens so often, especially on a spiritual path that we really, we, we do this. We, I know so many people, I've done it myself um, I've done, I mean, I, uh, in the past, where we give our power away and then we discover that there's a part of that person that we thought was just perfect that has actually, actually has, um, you know, a dark side. And we go, oh my gosh. And really, <laughs> <laughs> but we co-create it because we're the one putting that person on a pedestal. Yeah. And there's a lot of that coming out right now about so many teachers. It's huge. So, and it's coming out because it has to come out. And as it's coming out, we're also seeing that there are people that don't want it to come out. So they're doing whatever they can to keep it hidden, but it's still coming out. And so and, and at the same time, you know, where do we find, I know for me that I have to really work on compassion because I'm a real truth teller and I bring stuff, like, as I said before, I disrupt things and situations because it's part of what my soul has been born to do. 
and I bring light to things that certain people want to hide. And so I really found this huge compassion for the people who need to keep it hidden. And that took me a lot of work because there was a part of me that I even said, I'm just, I'm not being judgmental. I'm using discernment, but really I was being judgmental. And now I have conversations with some of these people because um, I did something three years ago where I publicly brought a very, very powerful person to the light um, in terms of something that this, that, that really called upon the impulses of a very powerful man. Mm, I and saw okay. <laughs> I know so, who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Right. Some people may, some people won't, but it was probably the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. And talk about backlash. And I had to free my voice in that situation. And that's a whole nother podcast in itself too. But what's really interesting is that there was a student of mine who was a, a student that was, that came to all my classes and she just, she, I also worked with her privately and I loved this woman and, and um, I knew a lot of her, um, you know, her deepest, um, you know, secrets and et cetera, et cetera. And um, after I brought this man to the light, she didn't like that I brought it to the light. She knew that it was the truth, but she didn't like that I brought it to light. Well, it was, it was a very touchy situation because I had to have, I had to hold compassion for her professionally. And also because I, we had connected our hearts in, in me being her, her private, you know, mentor. Um, and so we had to really, we had to separate with, with love because she thought this man was still doing a great job in what he was doing. And to me, I thought, Oh my gosh, like how, how, mm. and just, just yesterday, this is like a whole three years ago. Well, we were still going through it for a while, but she started coming back to class about maybe, two, maybe two years ago. And as she came back to class, I just really opened my heart to her um, because I had to work through a lot of, um, I mean, I, when I went, what happened to me was I was actually getting physical death threats at the time. And um, I, it was a, it, it was really um, something that is, you can't even imagine what mm. it was like, but wow. anyway, so for me, I had to find compassion for people that were still supporting this man mm-hmm. because otherwise it was just way too, 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 um, painful. It was way too painful. So my work was to find compassion, find compassion and find, and have an understanding and really like really radical compassion, radical compassion. And just yesterday she came up to me and both of us had this like incredible compassion and love for each other. And I said, I said, I just want you to know, I never stopped loving you, but I will say that I really had to work through all the times that I would pray for you. And I dedicated my, my days to helping you and how much love I gave you that you would choose this man over what I was going through and over what, and, 
And she said, but I always believed you. It's just that I thought that, that his, and I never liked him, but I thought that what he could do was, was important. Hmm. And so I said, okay, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. And there was this incredible moment where my eyes filled up with tears and her eyes filled up with tears. And it was this beautiful, beautiful moment. But again, what I couldn't bypass what I was experiencing in the past by just saying, this is not happening. I needed to separate from her and do it with love. And, and I needed to do that for myself and, and also not, not in a way of, of ripping off my soul in a sense of, I have to be so professional that I have to do this instead. No, I have to honor myself first and show up and teach because whoever comes to class is entitled to come to class, but I don't need to open my heart every single time someone walks in that door who has not seen that, that, that other truth that existed in my life. But this is what is happening right now on such a massive scale in our world because more and more secrets are coming to be illuminated. And in that, where each of us is, is going to be different. And so if we can have compassion for the people who want to keep the story silent, it will help us to just have compassion for where we are. If we decide that we need to use our voices or what about if we are one of the people who wants to keep something quiet? And what if we feel that we're being judged? So there's, we have to find this, in, this radical, radical compassion right now because otherwise we're just gonna be more and more and more polarized and more and more separate. And we're gonna lose. We're gonna lose in this, in this time where we can all win by coming together and joining our hearts. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the shadow work, right? It's like in yes. some other ways, you probably don't want to reveal all things. And so you can understand in a way what, that, that experience of not wanting to come forward. Yes, absolutely. And I saw a woman at Whole Foods the other day and she was picking water bottles out of the garbage and she was recycling them. Mm-hmm. Good. And for I her. was like, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I was like, wow, that's really amazing. And I saw other people walking by and they were like, oh my gosh, this woman must be crazy. <laughs> and I started to realize like, wow, we all have our own activism, right? We all have our own callings here on earth. I'm sure that there are people, when I brought this very powerful person to, to, you know, to reveal the truth that I know about this very powerful person, I know for a fact, people were like, oh my gosh, Karina has lost her mind. What is she doing? But that's part of my activism, right? That's what my soul needed to do that. Would I ever put my hands in a garbage can and bring wa- and pick up water bottles out of a garbage can? No, I would not. I would not. Do I mm-hmm. respect for someone who does it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So where can we have compassion for someone else's activism, right? And, and where can we also not judge someone who's, who's maybe walking around and some people aren't going to like to see this, but yeah, what about if someone has a water bottle and we're, and we are a real activist against plastic, right? How do we not 
how do we not, because I actually have learned from my mistakes where I've gone up to people and said, um, do you realize that you're wearing that red hat that's, you know, pretty much, you know, giving a permission slip for more people who are supporting the person that you're wearing the name of on that red hat and you have a daughter and a granddaughter and you, and I've done that before. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I almost can't help myself. And then I've learned, wow, that was a mistake. Yeah. Like that who am I to go up to that person and judge that person for wearing a red hat that says that? Like who am I to do that? So yes, like really if someone doesn't like water bottles in, you know, that are plastic, yeah, there might be a temptation to say, excuse me, do you know what you're doing to the environment, right? Mm-hmm. But where do we have compassion that that person might have another form of activism or might actually maybe for their own reasons, not really care about what we care about. Um, that is something I had to learn. And I definitely went into judgment of like, you know what? It's just selfish to not have some sort of activism. It just means all you care about is yourself. And that's, and if you just, you know, and, and I, that's judgment. There's, that is total judgment. And I've had to stop myself because it's just hurt me. It's just created a weird kind of anger inside of me. And that's not who I am. So instead I've had to feel it right. Like, Ooh, I don't like this feeling. I actually feel angry and I don't like this angry feeling. This is not healthy for me, but why am I angry? And where am I feeling it in my body? I'm tasting it now. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to do a meditation or I'm going to do a prayer or do something to help heal it. But first I have to really sense it. And like, oh, this is my ego here. Oh boy. Okay. Whoa. My ego is like really on fire. Mm-hmm. And that's how I know when my ego is in that place and I'm in that, that, that sensation, I am not living into my radiant body. I'm really kind of like, ugh, like shriveled up. But if I don't do that work to recognize that I'm in my ego, I recognize that I'm angry first, then I'm also not in my radiant body. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for this conversation, Karina. Oh, this has been wonderful. Yes, I loved I've learned it. so much from you and you're such an inspiration. Oh, and I, I really feel very aligned with a lot of your beliefs. So mm, yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm and glad. So are there any programs that you're currently offering that our listeners can check out? Oh, that's a great, great, great question. Um, I am going to be teaching in California in May with an amazing woman. Her name is Dr. Andrea Pennington. She actually lives in Paris and it's Kundalini Yoga and Neuroscience. Um, and I'm also going to be in time starting a, a group for women, which is going to be a sanctuary that where we all can process together and we'll be, I'll be sharing meditations and stories and and music and, and just be, it'll just, what the the whole idea is, is to create a living room that's universal for all of us. And that's coming up soon. But the best thing to do would be to sign up for my newsletter. And I don't bombard people with newsletters. I only send one out every month or two months, which will have what's, what's coming up next. Um, Oh, and there is another course that I just created with Spirit Voyage, which is, um, they're, they're editing right now, which is for women, especially on overcoming shame. 
um, which is going to be another really good course. But the best thing to do is to go to www.karenavirginia, karenavirginia.com. Sign up for my newsletter and then all the information of anything that's coming up will be in your inbox, you know, in at the right time because timing is divine. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Becoming Boundless is still available. Okay. And Good. there's also... Oh, there's also I can vouch for that course. That course. Oh, oh good. <laughs> and if someone wants to um, practice Kundalini Yoga for the very first time, um, there's Essential Kundalini Yoga, my book. But there's also a course that's done through Yoga Journal, which is called Kundalini 101. And in that course, you actually get the book as well. They, um, my publisher and yoga journal have collaborated on that course so that you sign up through yoga journal and you can Google Kundalini 101 um, and my name, Karina Virginia, and you'll see the, the, it's actually through AIM Media, which is part of yoga journal. And they, they've created it where you get the book and there's assignments in that course that bring you to different chapters of the book and there's meditations and yoga and that's a six week course. And I think it's, it's pretty reasonable. I don't think they charge a lot for it. So that's another good one to look at. Okay, great. That was my conversation with Karina Virginia. So much wisdom and insight in that conversation that you can use in your own life. Remember, feel it to heal it. Stay tuned for my conversation next Thursday with Alessia Gandolfo, who's a career and mindset coach for sensitive and ambitious millennial women who want a job that they truly love.